Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Dauber Prospects Radio. This is episode 131. I'm still your host. My name's Peter Harling. And on today's episode, I am joined by the McKean's Director of Scouting, Brock Otten. Brock, welcome back to the DPR show. Hey, thanks for having me again, Peter. Yeah, man. It's good to see you at the draft as well. I like I like the draft. It's a, it's an annual event, um, you know, minus the COVID interruptions that allowed the uh, the writers and the scouting community and, and whatnot to kind of all get together. It's kind of like the prom for the hockey season, isn't it? Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. I like that. Yeah, but it really was a lot of fun to to be in Montreal this year. And uh, it's great to to see everybody again or, or meet everybody for the first time for some faces. So, yeah, yeah what, what an event it was for sure. All right. And the fantasy hockey season is uh, like the NHL season just around the corner. And a lot of you will be doing your fantasy hockey prep. You've got your drafts coming up. If you haven't already done so, you'll be looking at uh, who to keep, who to turn over on your roster. And, uh, you know, you listen to this podcast, Brock and myself, we consider ourselves to be more prospect experts than, than NHL experts, perhaps. And uh, being the director of scouting over at McKean's, Brock certainly wears that uh, that hat of the eye for the young talent. And I do as well, hosting this show and working for Dauber Prospects. So we were both asked to contribute, of course, to the McKean's uh, annual yearbook. Uh, I've been a, a contributor for um, five or six years, I think now. And uh, Brock obviously plays a huge role in it, being the director of their scouting. Um, so I asked Brock, and he kindly agreed to come on the episode, and let's talk a little bit about um, preparing for the fantasy hockey season that's upcoming, and how you can use the McKean's Guide for that. So I've been buying this uh, since it was a print magazine, like 15 years ago. Uh, I've been a long time buyer of the McKean's book. I love it that it has uh, a really good and reliable forecasting for what we think the players are going to do. It breaks them down by team, gives you blurbs on the top players, and the prospect coverage on it has really expanded over the years as well. Uh, I think you probably have a lot to do with that too. And uh, the articles at the beginning of the magazine too, uh, I've loved those since before I was even asked to be a part of it. Um, and the two articles that I contributed to the magazine this year that you'll be able to find that are actually published on the site right now. So if you're a McKean's subscriber, you can read along as we talk about these articles. Um, so I've been asked to do the, the late, late, late show again is a, as a continuing article in the yearbook. And I focus on players you can get. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast, these are the kind of, kind of guys that you might be looking for that, you know, you're, Calderidge candidates, those guys are all long gone. They're all pre-owned in, in these dynasty leagues that, that people are in. Uh, but this gives you an opportunity to draft some guys who are entering the, the NHL with a chance of being a hidden gem, kind of coming out of nowhere. And uh, I was also asked this year to produce uh, a prospect rankings, uh, top forwards, defensemen, and goalies. And Brock provided a, a deep list of Calder rankings. So why don't we start with those two articles, Brock? Uh, because there's some pretty good overlap between the two of them. Your Calder rankings and my prospect rankings uh, are very similar. Yeah, yeah, let's absolutely let's dive in. All right. So your your Calder rankings is is pretty self explanatory. Um, my prospect rankings is different than the one in the magazine because mine is based on uh, fantasy hockey prospect rankings, and for these rankings. I took into consideration a couple of things. Um, obviously, what is their their upside, right? So they have to be able to be high caliber prospects who are going to be able to produce not only goals and assists for you in your fantasy, but I think a lot of people these days, Brock, are, are really into the more multi-cat leagues. There's a lot of leagues out there that are scoring more than just goals and assists these days. You know, hits, blocks, uh, some still do penalty minutes, plus minus face-off wins. There's a variety of stats you can use. So I tried to incorporate that level of, of value into these prospects too. So that kind of weighted a little bit for some of the more uh, gritty guys, and it gives some defensemen some some better value as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like like you said, I think that's a big part of, of fantasy hockey these days. It's not just goals and assists, uh, depending on what league you're in, right? There could be a variety of different categories, and 
you know, if you're going to be a league winner, you've got to make sure that you're hitting on those other categories as well. Yep. And I think two driving factors between both our lists were uh, offensive upside, of course, and ETA, like how quick and how confident are we that, that the player we're, we're trying to rank is going to be not only in the NHL this year, as opposed to returning to college or junior or, or the American Hockey League, but how prominent of a role will they be given? Uh, what is the opportunity on that team? Do they have good players to play with? Um, what are the challenges with the depth chart for them to move into a top six role or, or a top D pairing kind of thing? Um, so are, that's pretty safe to say. Am I uh, putting words in your mouth correctly? Or is there is there another important factor that you put into with your call to ranking? No, I think you pretty much nailed it, Peter. I think the biggest thing you need to look at, other than obviously talent, is opportunity, right? Um there are certainly guys on my Calder list uh, that I wrote that are further down the list that I would say are, are better NHL prospects. They just don't have the same opportunity as some of the guys that I ranked slightly ahead of them. Um, you know, that's obviously the the big part of, of Calder trophy prediction, right. Is, yeah. is looking at players who do have a really good opportunity heading into the season. Um, and not just as players who simply make the NHL roster. Uh, we're talking about players who are going to have, you know, a, a potentially significant impact on on their teams because they're getting that first or second line role or, or first or second pairing role or or for goaltenders, which I, I don't really think there are any this year, but for goalies, um, you know, the opportunity to, to play significant minutes and not just as a sheltered backup. Right. So uh, I think we're pretty much on a very, if not the same page, but a very similar page. So for me, I had my rankings done by positional so my top ranked forward for fantasy hockey prospects is maddie Beniers, and my top ranked prospect for fantasy hockey defenseman is owen power and your calder rankings went one two owen power maddie Beniers. so you know i think we're we're pretty much in agreement that that we're both expecting these players to surefire nhl players and to be thrust into a prominent role where they can make an impact right away. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we saw what, what Beniers did at the end of last year, right? Um, he was yeah. fantastic for Seattle, and he's going to have every opportunity to play tons of minutes for the Kraken. Um, and obviously that that's such a big part of it, like we just talked about, right? Not only is he a talented player, but he's going to be somebody that's going to see immediate minutes for, for the Kraken. He's going to play on the top power play unit. He's going to play you know, first or second line minutes, um, you know, probably even close to 18, 19 uh, a game right in his rookie year. Uh, so what a, that's a, such a perfect storm. I think the thing for power, um, I, I ranked him number one. because I, I believe in him. Owen Power is a it's the type of player that we, we keep saying, well, you know, maybe there's some upside concerns and wherever he goes, he completely dominates. So it's just like, at what point do we say this is a, a player who is going to be a dominant two-way force at the NHL level? I think in terms of his Calder potential, uh, and obviously I think it's going to happen, but I am slightly concerned that he's not going to get the kind of power play minutes that he's going to need to put up some serious offensive production to be a Calder winner from the back end. Uh, I, I think that maybe by... The mid-year point, uh, I think he's going to solidify that role on the power play, but I could see them starting him off a, a little bit slower. They do have some decent depth in Buffalo. So I, I do think that's a, a slight concern. Um, and I know I, I've read that and heard that from other people. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think he's just too talented of a player to to not eventually take over that role. Right. Well, not too many NHL teams can boast two first overall draft picks that are on their blue line uh, but buffalo sure can they've got rasmus Dahlin and an own power there so i guess that's where the the competition will come for power play time for powers uh from rasmus Dahlin. um you know he's he's got a little bit more experience and, and tenure uh under his belt there so uh do you see the any chance where so you're saying you could see him working his way in, into that role does that mean that you're suspecting that he is going to usurp Rasmus Dowling as the the number one power play quarterback, and they'll go with him and and four uh, forwards, or do you think they'll go three forwards and two D on power play one? 
I think that they'll experiment early on, right? I think Buffalo is, is a team that um, does have some talent, but they are still younger. They've got one of the best prospect systems in, in the entire NHL, and they're going to try to work guys in, and they're going to try to figure out what works, not just for this year, but moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having five forwards or four forwards and one defender is sort of the, the new sexy way to, to run a power play. Um but if you've got two guys like Dalian and, and Power who can control the point, you know, do they look at using both of them um, in that role? Obviously, you know, Dalian has done a, a good job. Uh, I think he had a good year last year, obviously, with with him really taking that next step forward as an offensive defender. Um, I think there's a chance that Power could sort of usurp him in that yeah. role. Um, I think that. At the very least, I do think that they'll probably go like 60-40. I think at the very least, power will start on that second power play unit. But it's all going to depend on how they play and and whether they want to experiment going with with Dallin Power together, uh, letting them work off of each other. Uh, I think that they just have a lot of flexibility, and I think that's something that's going to be key for them moving forward too. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Buffalo shakes that out. Maybe they go with, you know, the the forward core of – four players who who get a minute and a half of the power play time but they could they could share that time evenly with uh with the defenseman it's easier to make a line change with your d while you're on the power play uh especially in the second period the bench is right there they could just pop over back and forth um or they could just go with the two of them at the same time there's lots of options there uh it's also a little bit more difficult for defensemen to win the calder trophy um, you know, we had one do it last year with Mo Sider and, and he looked pretty good doing it. He was, he was pretty convincing. Not too many people were arguing with that selection. Um, I can't remember the last time we had back to back defense win the Calder. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how his season, uh, unveils as time progresses this year. Maddie Beniers is a player I think has a really good, uh, he's my, if I had to take a, one player to to bet on it. I think it would be Beniers for me. I really like his opportunity in Seattle. They added a couple more offensive caliber players to play with him. And you know, like you said, he looked really good at the end of the season, scoring almost a point a game in the last 10. Um, I think he also has the opportunity to provide fantasy owners with a variety of stats too. He scores, he passes, he's a good playmaker. He plays a, an aggressive forechecking game, so he'll get you some hits. He's very responsible defensively. He comes back deep, so he can get you a few blocks as well. And he's a center, so he'll also draw in some face-off wins. I wouldn't count on him racking up a significant amount of penalty minutes. And if you count plus minus, that could be detrimental because I think Seattle will be a dash by the end of the season. Um, actually pretty early on throughout the season. So he could be a bad minus for you. But other than that, it's all gravy with, with Beniers. Um, and if you're in a cap league, you know, these guys are all on ELC deals. So you've got a couple of years of, uh, low cost, high reward. Uh, so let's move on a little bit. Those are two good players. Uh, the next guy you've got listed is Kent Johnson. He'll be, uh, joining the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now you got him ranked third ahead of some pretty high players. Am I guessing that's because you think he's got an opportunity this year to play with one of or both of Patrick Line and Johnny Goodrow? Correct. Uh, that's sort of where my line of thinking is. I also think he has a good chance of being on the top power play unit with those guys too. Um, which obviously is going to help him, for lack of a better term, pad his stats, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's just a really good opportunity for him. And I think when you look at some of the other guys that I've got ranked or some of the other guys that are out there as caller candidates, I, I think you have to look at Johnson as being somebody who obviously possesses the high-end skill necessary to, to put up offensive numbers. And not only that, but he's got a great opportunity to play with some highly skilled players too. Um there's there's an opportunity in Columbus in the top six, you know, whether it's Ken Johnson, whether it's Crow Marchenko, they, they have some young guys that, you know, could take hold uh, of that spot. Um, and that's why I've got Johnson at three. Yeah, I had him as my fifth ranked forward. Uh, I think he's got a lot of offensive upside. I mean, he's he's a regular goal scorer of the Michigan and uh played for Michigan in NCAA. So that's a little fun quirk. Um, 
you think he definitely starts in on at center in the NHL? Because a lot of times players will transition in a in a little bit more easy to play position on the wing. There's less defensive responsibilities. Um, usually players get better as they age on faceoff wins as well. Uh, so I could see him perhaps breaking in this season on a wing. Uh, and then, you know, as he gets a little bit more experience, uh, gets a little bit more accustomed to the NHL, gains some coaches confidence, he could move not only up the roster, but in, back into his center position. Do you think that's a, a potential way that that plays out? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I mean, it makes sense when, when we look back to the way that you were describing sort of how you created your list and some of the parameters that you sort of set for yourself. And Johnson is going to be a Calder candidate because he's going to put up offensive numbers if he's playing in you know a significant role and he's getting power play time. But when you look at the way that you sort of broke down your list, um, looking at some of those other categories, Johnson probably isn't going to be somebody who's going to get you penalty minutes. He's not going to get you hits. Um, you know, his plus minus probably isn't going to be terrific playing on Columbus this year. I mean, they could be good, but, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be, uh, a strength of his. So really you're looking at him being, uh, strictly just point potential or, and if your league counts power play goals or power play points, uh, if he's playing in that top power play unit, that's obviously going to be beneficial as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's not going to be sort of that, uh, you know, multi-category guy that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, and that's that's one of the factors why he's. I mean, he's still in my top five. <laughs> you can't you can't ignore the sucking mitts that he has. Right. But uh, but you're right. That's that's pretty much all all he's going to contribute, and that's okay for you know a lot of players in the NHL. Ask players, uh, fantasy owners who own Artemi Panarin, they're probably pretty happy with the amount of assists he produces, and they can get over the lack of hits. Um. Okay. So that's. Kent Johnson, I have him as my fifth-ranked forward. You've got him as your uh, third Calder candidate, just ahead of Mason McTavish. Now, when you made this rankings, did you do this list before the World Juniors or after? Before. Before. Okay. I, I kind of was curious about that. Now, if you made this list after the World Juniors, would that have moved the needle at all on these two? Would you keep them where they are or would you flip-flop them? Keep them. Keep them, eh? Is, uh, Mason McTavish had a pretty impressive world juniors and just a pretty impressive uh season entirely with all the hockey that he played and looked good everywhere he played yeah and I, I absolutely love Mason McTavish I think he's one of the best prospects in the NHL um yeah. but you know his versatility I think will be possibly his undoing uh, as a Calder candidate Anaheim's pretty deep already um and I just don't know if he's going to put up the kind of points that are going to be necessary to be sort of a top five color candidate. I think he's got a very, very good shot of being a 2020 guy this year. I think he's probably going to move up and down the lineup. They'll probably put him in a broad, a variety of different roles. I think he's got a chance of playing on, on the top power play unit at different times, but I just don't know if there's sort of that same sort of path that Ken Johnson has um, for top six minutes consistently. All right. So here's a here's a question for you for Mason McTavish. He still has a year of junior eligibility left, surprisingly enough. Uh I mean he dominated the Ontario Hockey League last year. He looked great playing for Canada at the international tournaments that he played in. Uh I a hundred percent believe that he doesn't have anything to gain from returning to junior anymore. He's not eligible for the American Hockey League. So it's the NHL or or back to the Ontario Hockey League for him, or I guess potentially maybe somewhere in Europe. Uh, do, do you see a scenario where he doesn't make the Ducks roster this year? No. Um, and that's sort of going back to what I was talking about with his versatility, right? He's going to mm-hmm. play in a variety of different roles, and Anaheim will not be sending him back. I, I really don't think so. I think that even if he's playing on a third or fourth line for them, I think that's going to be more beneficial than going back to the OHL for another year. I mean, he's coming off of a year where he won an OHL championship, um, you know, just had a, a fantastic World Juniors. Uh, I, I, there's nothing else for him to prove. And mm-hmm. I don't think there's any, any other way that for him to develop uh, as a junior player. I think he needs to be challenged at the NHL level. Um, and I, if that means playing 10 minutes a night on the third or fourth line, I think that 
that's still the answer. And I think that's still the better answer than sending him back to the OHL. And I, I would be shocked if, if he goes back, honestly shocked. I think the only way it would happen is if somehow, you know, God forbid he gets injured or whatever in camp again, um, mm-hmm. kind of like last year where he had that injury. I honestly, I don't, I don't think he goes back last year, uh, unless he gets injured. Um, I, I truly believe that. Um, so unless that sort of thing happens again, I don't think he goes back. I think he's going to be in the NHL. Yeah, I, I'm a staunch believer that players should play out their junior careers until <clears throat> until they dominate at that level, and then they can move on. And if that's four years of junior and they dominate as a as a senior or NCAA and dominate as a senior, and then they need a little bit of time developing it at the pro level in the American Hockey League, then then that's what they need. And if they can graduate out of the OHL after dominating as a, as a as a junior, right, in their third season, well then great. But those players are the outliers and and few and far between. And Mason Tavish is an exceptional player. Um let me ask you something. If you were knowing what you know now about how his career has progressed and developed and, and the way he's uh improved if you could go back to the ontario hockey league priority selection where shane wright was granted exceptional status and went first overall and mason mctavish went second if you're kingston would you still take shane wright number one or would you consider taking mason mctavish i would still take shane wright um and that's just because there's an opportunity for him to continue playing as an exceptional status player right he's he's a year younger so you're Mm going to get possibly that extra year um Obviously, you don't know how McTavish is, is going to develop um, and how quickly he's going to become an NHL prospect. But obviously, the expectation was for Wright to, to do the same thing on the same sort of uh, you know rapid path. But I would still go Wright just, just because you have that security of, of him being that year younger. And um, I think both of them are fantastic prospects. Uh, if you go to you know my blog when I just did my top prospects from the OHL for the NHL, I have McTavish ahead of Wright, and I do stand by that. I do think that um, McTavish has a chance to be a more valuable NHL player than Shane Wright does. Uh, you know, but still going back in time, um, even with you know the knowledge that we have now, I, I think I would still take Wright because you know uh, one thing that you know you and I have chatted about before is the fact that Shane Wright could go back to the OHL this year mm-hmm. and have a, a, an amazing draft year or part of why he fell the fourth uh seattle probably is not in any hurry to rush him like we talked about with veneers like they're not going to be great this year there's no reason for them to rush him if he goes back to the ohl kicks it probably deals him they move him somewhere who you know some to some team is going to be uh at the top of the standings and he's going to get another chance to sort of redo last year's disappointing run in the playoffs and that would be ultimately great for his development. Uh, like you sort of said, I don't think that there's um, very rarely would I say that going back to junior would hurt a player's development or stagnate a player's development. I think there's always things that they can continue to work on. And I think that speaks volumes to a player's character, right? Um, mm-hmm. Taking on challenges with the right mindset, uh, understanding that there's always going to be things that they can get better at. It's, uh, whereas a guy like Mason McTavish, I, I, that's one of those rare instances where I just don't see anything else that he's going to be able to work on at the OHL level because he's just so much, so much stronger um, than a lot of the players he'd be playing against. And it almost would be to a disadvantage to his development because he now needs to get up to playing at a quicker pace, playing against stronger defenders, learning how to, to use space at the NHL level or Shane Wright. I think there's a lot of things that he could continue to work on at the junior level. Um, you know, like his ability to, to play with pace and um, vary his attacks and, you know, find uh, a little more consistency in his two-way game. And there's just so many different things that, that he could work on. Um, do I think that he has a chance of making the NHL this year? Yeah, it's probably like a 50-50. I think there's a chance that he goes into camp with Seattle and they say, you know, this is a guy who's not going to, to hurt himself playing for us this year. We're going to go with him and, and Veneers, one, two down the middle. And this is the future. The future is now. Um, let's see what they can do. Uh, I would be shocked if Wright doesn't at least get uh, a multi-game uh, look-see. Uh, obviously, they got up to nine before they can decide uh, before that ELC kicks in, right? Uh, or they have to burn that year. Yeah, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get uh, at least a couple regular season games. Obviously, he's 
preseason ones, but obviously a couple regular season ones too. Um, and then they sort of make up their mind as to what they want to do with him, uh, depending on his performance. Right. Well, I don't think it's an absurd question, McTavish versus Wright, because, I mean, we both have McTavish ranked higher than Wright on both our perspective lists. Um, that's an interesting conversation. Uh, let's keep going on through the list, though, um, and talk about some more guys. So let's go and talk about two more players now. I'm really curious about if you remember back at the 20, I think it was 20 draft when Buffalo in the first round drafted um, Jack Quinn ahead of Marco Rossi and pretty much everybody in this Canada community was like, oh, you got the wrong guy from the Ottawa 67s. And, you know, now, so we look back in hindsight, you've got Quinn and Rossi like one after the other on this list, but you've got Quinn just ahead of Rossi. I had Rossi as the second forward on my list. Uh, so I think I'm a little higher on Rossi than you might be. Um, so let's talk about those two. Uh, at the time of the draft, the consensus opinion, let's say, was that Buffalo made a mistake and drafted the wrong guy. Uh, since then, Jack Quinn has gone on to kind of shut a lot of people's mouths and change their opinions on, on the subject. He's looked very, very good in the American Hockey League. Yeah, and I think there needs to be a bit of context here. And when you're saying that most people, you know, thought that they had made a mistake, that Rossi should have gone ahead of Quinn, I was one of the few that didn't think so. Uh-huh. Uh, I've always been a Jack Quinn guy. Um you know, going back to if you look at my mock draft from from back then, I had uh, you know Quinn, I believe, going higher than Rossi. So it's always been uh, I've always been on Team Quinn. Um, admittedly, I was a little bit worried uh, <laughs> two years ago when you know he didn't have a, a terrific year in the in the AHL and battled some injuries. He had that sports hernia that kind of I think really hindered his ability to perform. Uh, you know, in a new environment. And I think you have to look at Quinn as the type of guy who's always been slightly immature physically. And I think that was sort of his issue in the OHL and why it took him so long to become a, a truly dominant force. Um, and I think that's sort of what we saw at the AHL level uh, last year when he was the AHL Rookie of the Year. He, he was fantastic. And mm-hmm. I think when you give him an opportunity to to develop and, and catch up, for lack of a better term, uh, he's going to perform. Uh, he's just such an intelligent player. Um, and as sort of those athletic tools, that those athletic skills have caught up to how well he processes the game, you're looking at somebody who I think is, a, is maybe not an NHL star, but a really, really good NHL player for a really long time. Um, and that's not to take anything away from Marco Rossi, who I really like too. Um, I just think that I like the position that Quinn is in just a little bit better. Um, I think that, like I said, Buffalo obviously has some good depth and some good talent, but they're also a team that understands that they have a really strong farm system and they're going to try to work some of those guys in. Uh, JJ Paterka is another one that was really, really good last year in the AHL. And I think that they find a spot for both him and Quinn uh, in the NHL lineup this year. Um, I think both of them are ready and I think both of them are going to turn heads in camp. And I think, Jack Quinn is in a spot where I think he's going to get some pretty good ice time playing with some pretty good players. Um, I think he's got an opportunity to to really perform well this year. And I think one of the reasons being that, you know, Quinn is a, is a really solid overall player too. Uh, he understands how to play without the puck, understands how to play in the defensive end. Um, and I think that's going to really sort of endure him to Buffalo's coaching staff. And that's not, again, Marco Rossi is a similar kind of player. He's a workhorse, um, strong two-way guy. Um, I just think that there's a little bit better opportunity in Buffalo than, than Minnesota. Um, and that's, again, Minnesota obviously uh, has a really good team and they've got some really good talent for, for Rossi to, to potentially play with. Um, I don't think it's a guarantee that, that he's in the NHL this year. I think there's a strong chance. I, I think Quinn probably has a, a better chance than Rossi. Um, I do think both will be in the NHL, but when you look at, say, Minnesota, um, yeah, okay, they've got some guys that have some flexibility um, in terms of their positional flexibility. 
So there's a strong chance Rossi could kind of grab that second line center role. Um, but you kind of look at the job that Frederick Goudreau did last year for them and Ryan Hartman as well. Um, both of them behind Erickson Eck or sort of in line with Eric, Erickson Eck. They've got some really good center depth. And do they want to move Rossi to the wing? Uh, I don't know. Um, the long story short, I kind of just like where where Jack Quinn is right now uh, in, in relation to Rossi. I can see that Jack Quinn certainly has the the momentum right now. At the draft, I think a lot of people were looking at uh, Mark Orossi as potentially the most NHL-ready prospect. And um, he went very high in a lot of fantasy drafts. And GMs who selected him were thinking, hoping, praying that Mark Orossi would walk straight into the NHL and be on a line one center position playing with Kirill Kaprizov. Um, now... The pandemic hit. He got COVID real bad, and he had a, a really, really difficult year. You talk about how Jack Quinn missed some time with injury. Well, Marco Rossi missed an entire season, and that really derailed his momentum and trajectory. And he played the entire season in the American Hockey League last year, getting it back. And as the year went on, he got uh, more comfortable and, and better. And I think that I'm anticipating that Marco Rossi has is going to graduate. Uh, maybe the majority, if not the entire season. You know, he might uh, start the NHL, go down for a cup of coffee in the American Hockey League for a little bit if he uh, if he has a dry spell, and uh, and then come right back up as as soon as he gets his momentum back. Um, I like his opportunity. the The centers that you named don't have the sort of pedigree that Marco Rossi has, um, you know, first round draft pick. He's got the golden ticket for um, walking onto a roster spot. If, if he can, if he can hold it down. Um, I don't think those other players either have the, <clears throat> the salary cap leverage to hold on to the position. If they don't outperform uh, Marco Rossi, they, they got, that's what they have to do. They have to outperform him. They can't play just as well. Cause I think, Minnesota will will give the ice time to the younger player with more upside there. So there's there's some uncertainty with Rossi to be sure immediately. Um, but I think both players have tremendous long-term offensive upside. And I think Marco Rossi gives you a little bit of a slight advantage in the um peripheral categories as well. Uh, he's really strong on on draws, so I like him uh, staying at the center position. He's not a very big guy, but he's pretty strong, so he's not adverse to playing rambunctious and um, and mixing it up a little bit physically, uh, but not a banger by any stretch. So those are two interesting players. Um, we both had power number one, and the next ranked defenseman you have on your list comes in here, and that's Jake Sanderson of the Ottawa Senators. I had him ranked uh, fourth on my defense prospects. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Sanderson. Um, and neither one of us have very many D well, I don't know mine are positionally ranked, but you don't have very many defense ranked in your Calder. And like I said earlier on, it's, it's difficult for D to win the Calder, but I think we can both see how uh, a guy like Sanderson should be on this, this list. And then maybe a little later on a guy like Perunovic as well. Um, so Sanderson will be making his NHL debut this season. He's going to be attending the, the Sens rookie camps that are, that are happening this week. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. He was a big draft riser in his draft year. I think he's got a really good offensive upside and I think he'll also be able to play a good physical role as well. Play lots of minutes should help reduce Thomas Shabbat's minutes down to a, a more earthly level. Uh, in the next couple of seasons. So uh, you're a big fan of Sanderson. You have him as your your number two ranked defenseman. And there's not really anyone close after that, is there? No. And even Sanderson, I, I think it's more so, did I feel the need to have another defenseman high up on the list? Like like you said, I really like Jake Sanderson uh, as a prospect. I think he's going to have a really long NHL career. Um I just don't know if I'm convinced he's going to have the type of offensive impact this year that's going to allow him to be a, a serious caller candidate. Yeah, um, I think that there's, like you said, there is a path for him to jump right into Ottawa's top four and be an impact player. Um, but, you know, realistically, is 
is he going to be more than like a 25, 30 point guy in his rookie year? Uh, you know, it's certainly possible. I think he's talented enough. Um, but I could also see him sort of focusing on the defensive side of things first and getting comfortable there. Um, especially with, you know, him having that hand injury at the end of last year that prevented him from, from finishing out the year in the NHL and then prevented him from participating in Senator's development camp. Um, so, you know, maybe there's a chance that he kind of starts off a little bit slow, sort of gains steam, gains confidence in his offensive game and his ability to carry the puck um, a little bit more slowly. And obviously, if if that's the case, and he's only sort of like a 25, 30-point guy, um, even if he's playing significant minutes, he, he's probably not going to be in the top five of Calder voting. Um, mm. You know, in terms of impact on his team, I think it'll be significant. In terms of actual Calder voting, I'm not as convinced that he's going to be really high up there. I think that a guy like Power might be the really only true top defensive candidate, uh, you know, for the trophy this year. Fair enough. I think you're not wrong. Um, I might disagree with you on your next ranked player in the in the Calder rankings, though. That's Kravtsov, um, New York Rangers prospect. He's had a, a couple of years, a couple of kicks at the can now. Never been able to crack the roster. Um, a little bit of drama surrounds him. Asked for a trade, went home, pouted in the American Hockey League. Um, and then every opportunity he's had to say, okay, well, it's time to put up or shut up. He's he's not really been able to answer that bell. Um, you have him ranked right after Sanderson in your top 10. I didn't have him ranked in my top 30 forwards. Uh, I guess I'm just not a believer that he's ever going to stick either with the Rangers or, or another team in the NHL. Now he's no longer on a two way contract. He's a one way contract. So he's not minor eligible anymore. You know, if it's, if he doesn't make the Rangers roster, they'll either have to loan him over to Europe or, or waive him and, I don't think there's much chance he goes through waivers and that might be his best chance to, to play top minutes in the NHLs with another team. Um, so I'm clearly not, not a believer in, in uh, Vitaly Kravtsov, but you are Brock. So what is it that you're seeing that I'm not? Well, he's a boomer bust player, right? If, if he's making the Rangers this year and he's playing, you know, he's going to be somebody that I think has a chance to, to really have an impact. Um, and put up a, a lot of points. Um, and you know, if he struggles, you know, he, he might not be on the on the roster at all, right? Um, whether that's with another team, whether that's going back to to Europe, um, you know, I think that that remains to be seen. Obviously, um, he's a big mystery, right? Uh, one of the biggest wild cards in terms of prospects heading into this year. Um, I just think that there's there's such significant upside. And when we're looking at this called the trophy list, I think I should preface it by saying that I really think heading into the year, it's a two-horse race. I think if I was a betting man, yeah. it would be either veneers or power. I think yeah. that those two yeah. are really far ahead of anybody else heading into the year um, uh, in terms of a prognostication. I think there's a really big gap between one, two, and the rest of the list. And then it's just about trying to list guys that I think have significant upside. Well, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't I, be yeah, much I, of an article if you only had two guys on it. <laughs> that, I don't know who's reading that one. Yeah, they would be like, thanks, Captain Obvious. Probably be a lot of memes on me uh, uh, on the internet, probably on Twitter with Captain Obvious and my picture yeah. beside it. Yeah, um, yeah. Why, asking why they're paying to read my stuff. Um, <laughs> look, like, like I said, uh, Kravtsov, is on my list and, and relatively high because I, I think that there is significant upside for him to be a Calder candidate. Um, I think there's significant downside to him not even being in the NHL and heading back to the KHL or moving to another team. But if he moves to another team, you know, he's going to be the same sort of role. Nobody's going to play Kravtsov on the fourth line. If somebody believes in him enough to have him in the NHL, they're going to be giving him ice time and the chance to contribute offensively because that's what he does best. Um, and I think when you're looking at some of the guys that I've gotten ranked behind him, um, Slavkovsky, I don't think there's a guarantee that he's in the NHL this year. Shane Wright, not a guarantee he's in the NHL this year. Um, you know, William Eklund's coming off a pretty down year in Sweden, playing for a relatively, I, I believe, poor San Jose team this year. Cole Perfetti, you know, I don't think there's a guarantee that he's in the NHL. 
Um, so there's when we start going down my list, which I'm sure we'll probably dig in deeper uh, as we further our conversation. Um, I just thought that Kravtsov had among the highest boom potential of other players on this list. Um, and he obviously does or will be given a large opportunity to to take hold of a role in the top line in New York, which is going to give him uh, a chance to play with some really good players. Um, whether he takes hold of that and runs with it uh, remains to be seen. All right. Well, I don't want to spend five hours going through all 25 players that you ranked and 30 forwards that I ranked because <laughs> who's got that kind of time? Um, so let's just do a couple of, of quick thoughts on a, on a few more guys. You just mentioned Slavkovsky and Wright as the next guys on, on your list. They went in the, the draft. Slavkovsky went first. Wright went fourth. We already talked a little bit about Wright and how you think that he could benefit from returning to junior. And, and I think he could as well. Although neither one of us would be shocked if he played second line center minutes for, uh, Seattle all season and ended up having a, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 point season. Now, let's talk a little bit about Slavkovsky. Uh, kind of a surprise to some people. Not a super surprise to some. Uh, you know, the first overall pick in the NHL draft has a, a sort of history or tradition of going straight into the, into the NHL from the, from their draft. Uh, Owen Power didn't do it last year. Do you think Slavkovsky follows suit there? Cause he's got a lot of options where he can play. He can go back to Europe. He can play in the American Hockey League. He could play in the National Hockey League, and I think his rights are even owned in the CHL somewhere. He could play there if if Montreal saw fit for that. Um, you know, he's he's on your list for for a Calder candidate, so that stands to reason. You suggest that he's going to make your uh, he's going to make the NHL. He makes my list a slightly further down, but my list isn't a Calder list, and I think he's got better long term upside than than he has an immediate impact. Um, so what's your quick thought on where Slavkovsky plays and if it's in the NHL, what kind of impact he has? Yeah, I think it's similar to Wright. Like we talked about sort of that 50-50 chance. Um, and I know that's kind of like a cop-out of an answer, but I do truly believe that it's 50-50. I don't think Montreal is going to rush Slavkovsky. I don't think there's any reason for them to. Um, you know, there's a lot riding on his selection, especially given the nature of the publicity of it all with the draft being in Montreal with them passing on Wright. Um you know, they're going to want to make sure that they handle Slavkovsky's development really, really well. Montreal probably is not going to be an extremely competitive team this year. Um, I think the goal is for them to get another high pick in this year's really, really strong draft and continue to build out um, the rest of their roster. If Slavkovsky comes into camp, can play and proves that he can be a top six winger um, right away, and play on the power play and play with a guy like Nick Suzuki and have the potential to be, you know, an immediate sort of 25, 30 goal score, Montreal will take him on the roster. If not, I don't think that they use him in sort of like a third or fourth line role. I think they, they loan him back to Europe, let him play some top minutes um, and then bring him back over next year or bring him back at the end of the European season and, um, you know, let him play out then. Um, so that's why he's a little bit lower on my list. And like you said, it's kind of non-traditional to see the reigning first overall pick so low on sort of a Calder list, but, uh, it's two years in a row, right? Power went back to college last year. Now we're seeing him at the top of, or near the top of both of our lists. Um, so, you know, maybe the same thing happens with Slavkovsky next year. Maybe he doesn't make Montreal. Maybe he goes to Europe. Maybe he comes back next, the following year. Um, you know, the 2023-24 season. And, you know, he's at the top of both of our lists then when we're having this conversation uh, a year from now. Yep. Time will tell, right? That is the the ultimate uh, distinction there. Uh, so one last player on our list that I want to talk about here is Cole Perfetti. I had him way higher on my list. He's my third-ranked fantasy prospect, and he is well down your list here outside the top 10. Uh, I Obviously, you don't think that he's a lock to make the NHL. You just kind of talked about that. I like his chances of playing. Um, I think he plays a game that translates very well to the pro level and the NHL. I like that he has the ability to score a lot of goals. And since he was dubbed goal perfetti, he followed that season up by 
breaking the Cy Young trend and, and scoring more assists than he did goals. Um, he plays a nice solid two-way game. Uh, he, he's got some decent size. He can provide you with a little bit of, of hits as well. Uh, he could play center or wing. I think he's happier at center. I'm not sure that he starts his NHL career at center, kind of like what we were talking about with Kent Johnson, but I could see him ultimately playing the bulk of his career down the middle with Winnipeg. Um, so what were your concerns with keeping him a little bit lower on the list here, Brock? Yeah, he, he does have a very good opportunity. Um, obviously, there are some sort of holes in, in Winnipeg's lineup. Um, you know, no more Paul Stastny, no more Andrew Kopp. Um, you know, there's, they're coming off of uh, a year that was extremely disappointing for them as a team. And Perfetti is one of their top prospects. So, you know, obviously they're going to hope that he can come in and play a top six role. I think that this is a really big year for Perfetti's development. Um, two years in the AHL now. Um, it's time for him to take that next step. Um, I- I'm not going to say it's a make or break year for him. He's still a young guy. And with the everything that happened in the OHL with, with the season being canceled and him having to go to the AHL, uh, you know, a year earlier than he would have usually. Um uh, that I don't think that was amazing for his development personally, but um, I, I think my biggest concern is the same one that I've always kind of had with Perfetti is, is his pace. Um, I think he's a highly intelligent player, um, but I don't think that, I don't think that his pace of play and his ability to, to skate himself out of trouble is at a level that might be NHL ready. I think that there still needs to be more development in that area. Um, especially having watched him a little bit in, at the AHL level, where I don't think he was uh, a dominant player as of yet. I think when you, we talk about you know some of the players who had really good years in the AHL last year um, in terms of prospects, we talked about Jack Quinn. I mentioned JJ Paterka. You have Lucas Reichel in Chicago. Um, you have uh, Jacob Pelche in Calgary. Guys who were really, really good uh, in the AHL last year as young players. And I, I think Perfetti was good, but I don't think he was amazing. Um, and I just still have some some moderate concerns about kind of how his game translates, kind of the exact opposite sort of to, to what you said. Um, I think there are some definite traits that, that are good and that could make him a, a really valuable complementary piece because um, he doesn't have to be. Um, somebody who can take over games right now, you know, he's going to be able to slot between or beside, uh, depending on position that they use him at, uh, some pretty good players. Um, I, I just still don't know if his development is at that point where he's going to be somebody who can be consistently counted upon to, to be an offensive producer. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Um, like I said, I do think it's a really big year for his development. Um, um, yeah, uh, I think uh, you and I just kind of differ on our opinion there in terms of um, his projectability at this point. Are you saying you like I my list isn't a Calder ranking, so it has the longer term aspect to it, right? I see him being <laughs> a, a extremely relevant fantasy prospect going forward in his career. Uh, granted, he might not be a real strong Calder candidate this year, but um you know, I I think his his long term value is is very high. Um, are you on the same page with that, or or are you still a little bit cooler on him long term? Um, yeah, uh, lukewarm um, mm-hmm. would be probably the best way to describe it. When you look oh. at sort of our prospect rankings at McKean's, mm-hmm. which are going to be in that yearbook, um, Perfetti is thirty or twenty ninth, I believe. Yeah, twenty ninth, um, which is which is high. Um, but we've got some guys that I kind of just mentioned, um, like mm-hmm. Lucas Reichel, like uh, Jack Quinn, um, ranked uh, ahead of him, William Meckland as well, um, Dylan Gunther. So some guys that I do think uh, at this point probably have a, a little bit safer upside than Perfetti does. Uh, I still like him as a pro. I don't know if I like him as sort of a game breaker. I think he's going to settle into being more of like a, a solid complimentary pro. Um, and I think that's why maybe he's a little bit lower down our list than in both instances. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So that covers a, a good chunk of our, our top prospects from the 25 Calder rankings. And my prospect rankings were 30 forwards, 20 D and 10 goalies. So I uh, highly encourage everyone to go ahead and subscribe to McKean's 
a subscription will will get you full access to the rankings and uh, our quick thoughts on on all the players that we wrote about as well and wh- why we ranked them where we ranked them. Uh, you can also get access to that 300. And the other article that I wrote, let's talk a little bit about that, Brock. The the late late uh, late show. I've got uh, some hidden gems here. So if you're in a deep deep dynasty league, and this is probably more for like full keeper leagues that have a full roster a large size league with like 20 to 30 GMs in it uh, with, you know, full NHL rosters and 20 plus prospects that you can own and protect as well. So these are some players who are coming up that either were previously unowned or coming from Europe, coming from the NCAA, you know, unsigned undrafted free agents who signed recently, perhaps uh, or prospects who uh, maybe were just undrafted and, uh, signed a pro deal and have since become late bloomers and, and becoming a little bit more fantasy relevant and have really super duper low ownership and guys, you might want to look at claiming as a free agent or off the waiver wire or drafting them in your, in your re-entry drafts. If you have those kind of things. Um, so I have it really broken down into three categories. Players come from Europe, NCAA and, and top prospects. So are there any guys on here, Brock, that you kind of wanted to talk to me about that I had in, in each category? Or um, is there anyone that jumps out at you that you want to talk about? Uh, I think it's better if, if you sort of took the lead. Um, yeah. Talk about some of the guys that maybe you would be curious about my opinion on. Sure. Well, let's start with the European guys. And I think the one that has garnered on the most attention and, and publicity on is Andre Kuzmenko. Uh, he was second overall in the KHL in scoring last year. Um, now, we've seen a lot of undrafted Russian players come over as free agents before. Uh, everyone remembers Artemi Panarin, of course. That is uh, that is the high water benchmark. Um, you've got... Uh, What's his name? Vadim Shibashov, who was signed by, I believe it was Vegas. And yeah, uh, yeah wasn't able to make any kind of impact and, and immediately flamed out in North America. And after like about a week or so, found his way back to Russia and, and his return to, you know, scoring championships in the KHL. You know, a couple of years ago, we had one who I was really confident in, um, in Nikita Gusev. I was uh, a big fan of the goose. I thought that he was going to be the golden goose and, and be the next best Artemi Panarin. And that really flamed out as well. So, you know, you might have a bunch of people who are, who are looking at this and saying, Oh yeah, second in the KHL in scoring, but he's undrafted. So, you know, I'm not a believer. Um, he's got a really good opportunity in Vancouver. It's a one year contract so it's a pretty low risk investment for fantasy GMs. If you can just add him for free as a free agent, uh, if you have to draft him in a prospect draft, I would certainly not take him ahead of, you know, the first, at least first half around, if not full first round of, of NHL drafted prospects that went in Montreal. Um, but he's the kind of guy who you won't have to spend a lot of investment time on your prospect roster with him he'll either make it onto your active roster and be an immediate contributor or he'll be done in short order um that's kind of the way i see him i i haven't got a lot of scouting tape on him from the khl i have watched some highlight reels and and he's a very shifty sneaky player behind the net he's got good hands he's he's very quick um and he's got uh, a nice accurate shot and you know he's he's crafty and creative uh, like a lot of the a lot of the high profile prospect kids are these days you know guys like Kent Johnson uh guys like uh Zegras they're they're very flashy and very creative and they're not afraid to try things and i i see shades of that from Kuzmenko um i'm not saying that he's going to be as good as those guys but um i think he has a really legitimate shot at playing in a top 6 role in Vancouver um Love to hear your thoughts on them. Yeah, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there with that last point is, you know, when you're looking at a fantasy draft and you're looking at grabbing players late, you're looking for that sort of boom potential, right? You're, yes, to a certain degree, depending on what kind of categories your your league is using, you might be filling out some of those, you know, hit, face-off, shorthanded goals, uh, penalty minutes categories, right? But you're also looking at those guys that are going to, really outperform their draft position. And Kuzmenko has a chance to do that. Um, like you said, huge gamble, right? Uh, there is a chance that 
he doesn't even last the year in the NHL. Honestly, there there is probably that chance, just like we've seen with some of the other KHL stars that have come over because sometimes the uh, pasture is not greener on the other side and they're quick to, to head back where they're already established stars, right? Um, but other than maybe Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Miller, maybe Connor Garland, um, I know that they signed and spent a lot of money on, on Mikhaev, but... Um, you know, I'm not convinced that Kuzmenko can't beat him out for for a spot in the top six. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's there's an opportunity for him to to get significant playing time um, with good players, uh, and that's ultimately going to possibly lead to really good production. You know, there there is a chance that he is the next Panarin in terms of somebody who jumps right into NHL um, and you know is is a really good performer. And then there's the flip side of that, like you said, where he's Shibashev or Gusev or take your name or take your pick of some of the other KHL stars who've come over and done absolutely nothing and then had to go back to the KHL the, you know, maybe even mid-year. Um, but that's why he's he's a sort of deeper sleeper, right? Uh, he's not somebody that I would use a, an early pick on, that's for sure. Um, but uh, if you're looking at players who have you know really high upside, towards the mid to later part of your draft. Uh, I think uh, Kuzmenko is a good pick. Like you said, he's skilled enough to obviously put up the numbers. It's just a matter of of how that skill set transitions, which is a bit of a mystery. But uh, that's why he's not being drafted in the first couple of rounds, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a couple more players in, in the European bracket that are coming over. Um, some are familiar names that you might recognize from, you know, previous stints in the NHL, like Dennis Malgan, and some guys will be making their debuts. Then we got the NCAA class as well. So these are all undrafted free agents. And the top of this list is with a bullet, and that's Ben Myers, who had a really solid Hobie Baker uh, finalist kind of season as a senior, finished the year in Colorado. Um, but uh, I forget what the loophole was or the, the term with his contract that maybe it was a, a professional tryout that he signed for the balance of the regular season, but he wasn't able to play in, in the Stanley cup finals for um, in the playoffs for Colorado. Uh, but he did play in the world championships and, and looked pretty good over there as well. Um, so of all the college free agents, he is uh, the most fantasy relevant by far. And, the potential for him to be an impact player got a little bit better as Nazem Kadri walked as a free agent. So that creates a roster opportunity for him. Uh, maybe not to replace Nazem Kadri on the second line center, but if someone moves up the roster, then that opens up a spot a little bit further down for him to, to start and then potentially play his way up as his career progresses. Um do you see him playing in the NHL or in the American Hockey League with the Eagles? I definitely see him going straight to the NHL. I, I really like uh, what Myers brings to the table. I think he had a fantastic year, obviously, uh, at the NCAA level. And I think that um, he's somebody whose game transitions extremely well, especially when you look at the way that Colorado likes to play. Um, he can bring speed. He's strong at both ends already. Um, really strong away from the puck. Um, but supports play well with pace as well. Um, I'd be shocked if, if he's not a bottom six player for, for Colorado mm-hmm. this year. Um, and, you know, if he's performing well in that role, he's somebody that could make sense as a, as a late round flyer because if somebody gets injured, um, if somebody underperforms, you know, if he's playing well, they could easily, you know, move him up in the lineup and take a look and, and see what he's capable of doing. Um, I think that the upside is definitely there for him to be, uh, you know, a second line player at the NHL level. Um, and, uh, I'm really excited to, to see what he does this year. He's somebody that I'm very, very curious about in terms of, uh, prospect performance coming into the year. And I, I think the only other one that really, really sticks out for me in terms of NHL free agent or, uh, NCAA free agent signings would be Blankenberg and, in Columbus. I think he's got an opportunity to, to play a role for them and, and possibly even get some power play time and, and put up some good points. Um, maybe as a, a sort of deeper sleeper in your draft as well from the back end. 
Yeah, he comes from uh, Michigan Wolverines, so he was insulated from the limelight quite nicely by Owen Power and, and Luke Hughes. Luke Hughes, by the way, is my third-ranked defenseman. Um, he's going back to college for another year, so that's what kept him a little bit further down, is he's not going to make an, an immediate impact. But Blankenberg was, I think, a bit of an unsung hero on that roster as a as a senior on the the team. You know, he was a leader, and he provides some really good two-way play on the back end he's not a very big guy but he was quite happy to to block a lot of shots so I think that's going to be his his meal ticket in the NHL is his two-way play perhaps more his defensive game than his offensive game and you know and his willingness to do whatever it takes to win games block shots score goals make passes throw hits uh he'll he'll try and and do it all um yeah i like him as well i was unable to get him in any of my fantasy leagues which is a bit of a bummer so then we got (laughs) then we got the late bloomers here so these are prospects who uh um don't have a lot of fanfare for outside of maybe nathan smith um so he he played out his four-year term and uh was gonna not sign a contract so he ended up getting traded to arizona and and the coyotes were able to to sign him a uh, couple other guys I have on this list as well. Let's maybe talk about Arbor Jack Sure. Yeah. I talked about him a couple times on, on podcast before, but he's right in your backyard here with uh, as an OHL alumni. So if I'm not mistaken, he was undrafted in the Ontario hockey league, played his way on to uh, a roster, ended up getting traded last season uh, as an overage player to Hamilton and was a really key component of their team winning a championship and going to the Memorial Cup. He's a really big physical six foot four, 225 pound defenseman. Now he's turning pro this year. Um, he'll be playing in, in the American Hockey League with Laval. So there's still some wait time on this prospect. And if he does make it to the NHL and, and goes all the way, um, I don't think he'll ever be an offensive defenseman, but if you're in a roto multi-cat league, you know, he could be someone who kind of plays a Radko Gudis kind of style value where he puts up a few points, but he racks up a ton of hits and blocks and, and penalty minutes. Um, do I have all my historical facts on, on Arbor Jack guy correctly? And, and are you high on him at all? Do you see him having NHL potential? Absolutely. Um, you know, I remember watching him when he first broke into the league, like you said, as a free agent. And I actually remember being quite impressed by him. Um, his physicality stood out immediately, just his confidence as a young player in the league. Um, his skating has improved tremendously um, over his OHL career. His confidence and play with the puck has improved tremendously. Um you know, pretty much everything about his game has taken you know massive, massive leaps forward, and he's now a quality NHL prospect. Um, and I, I do think that he has a chance uh, at having a long NHL career. I think that he does need to clean some things up in terms of his decision making with the puck. Um, some of the things that he gets away with at the OHL level, or even doesn't get away with at the OHL level, some of the turnovers that happen in the defensive end, they're going to have to get cleaned up. Um, he's going to have to make quicker decisions with the puck, but I think that, uh, so many other parts of his game will translate really well. And I think that when you look back to when Montreal signed him out of their training camp as a free agent, um, it was because he was turning heads and he, he actually got into some exhibition games, uh, which rarely happens for CHL free agents that aren't, um, aged out. Um, it's a pretty, it's a pretty rare feat, um, and it's obvious that they really think highly of him in, in that organization. And uh, I think with, with good reason. I do think that he has a chance to be a quality sort of number four through six defenseman. And I think he could actually move pretty quickly. I think the biggest wild card is the processing ability with the puck. Um, if he can make better decisions and just kind of like simplify his game a little bit, uh, play to his strengths at the pro level, I think he'll move pretty quickly. Um, I think he's physically ready. He's a massive dude. He, his hands are, are gigantic. Um, he, he is a big, uh, young man. And mm. I think that physically he is ready to compete at the NHL level. It's just a matter of whether he's able to handle the, the pace and, and the decision-making, 
um, and we'll ultimately find out at training camp. Um, but I honestly, I could see him moving pretty quickly through that system, even as strong as that system is. Yeah, ag- agreed. One of the things that stood out to me, you're talking about his his quickness. I found that when I was watching him, he didn't need to be that quick because he was never really out of position for starters. And the guy's six foot four. He's got a, a huge wingspan and a long stick. And his legs are so long that with just like two or three effortless looking strides, he covers a lot of ground and he could take away a lot of um, lanes and, and real estate <laughs> and eliminate options for players uh, and cut out their, their time and space very rapidly and very effectively and, and with physical authority if he needs to. Um, all right. So that's, uh, that's a guy from, from each group for the, the late, late, late round and uh, the, the top names from the Calder rankings and the fantasy prospect rankings. Like we were saying before, there's so much more, uh, meat to this, uh, yearbook. Another great article that's in it is another regular as well. And it is from Scott Cullen and it's the, um, fantasy, uh, what is it called again? Sorry. Oops. Under the radar fantasy all-star team. So. It covers, you know, a few prospects in there, a few guys that have been injured and whatnot, and, and a lot of breakout candidates. Um, Brock, tell us a little bit about how people can um, get this magazine, um, subscribe, and, and where they can find your work. And if there's anything else in the magazine that I'm, that I'm forgetting to mention that is a really interesting piece of value that customer readers will get. Yeah, so they can buy it off of uh, the McKean's website, McKean'sHockey.com. Um, you kind of mentioned previously that it used to be in stores. It isn't anymore, but you can actually buy a print copy if that's what you're into. I know there are quite a few people out there who prefer just to have that sort of print copy in their hand to read as opposed to sitting on their phone or their laptop to read something. Um, so that can be ordered off our website as well as the digital copy. Um you can do it individually, so just the yearbook, or you can do it through uh, a subscription to McKean's, which obviously I would recommend because I think we we, worked, uh, we put out some pretty good content, um, not just for the draft, but for other stuff as well. Um, in terms of the yearbook, you know, you're getting the articles that you mentioned. You're also getting our top 300 prospects. Uh, you're getting each team's, each NHL team's top 20 prospects uh, with uh, write-ups. Um, you're getting prognostications, uh, on every NHL team, uh, heading into the season. So, uh, there's just a lot of content and kind of like, uh, you said at the very beginning, um, even before I started working for McKean's, uh, I've always purchased the McKean's yearbook, um, cause I think it's, it's being sort of at the top of its class for, you know, uh, forecasting what's going to happen, uh, the coming NHL season. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud to, to be a part of it. Um, and, uh, I really do think that, uh, you're going to want to pick up a copy of it when it gets released very, very soon. I agree with that as well. All right. So this is Brock Otten. You can follow him on Twitter at Brock Otten, B-R-O-C-K-O-T-T-E-N. I am Peter Harling on Twitter at Farling. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and share it on social media. Tell all your friends, subscribe to the show, give me the five stars and all those good things. Um, that's pretty much a wrap for this episode. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Brock, thanks very much for joining me. Appreciate all your time. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Keep your stick on the ice, everyone.